Good morning, 26 West. How we doing? Happy first day of 20, or last day of 2023. Tomorrow, happy first day of 2024. Here we are. Clearly, I'm all here. Uh, not hopped up on cold medicine or anything like that. I got young kids. You know the drill. Here we are. Hey, speaking of kids, it's good to have you guys in here. I, I, my five-and-a-half-year-old is here as well. I hope everyone had a great Christmas, just a, a really special time. Uh, I, last week, as Jose said, we were here together at Christmas Eve. That was such a sweet time uh, and, and just such a special week. Uh, it, it is a special week, but also this last week between Christmas and New Year is a bizarre one, right? It's just a weird week, uh, let's be honest. You're gorged on sugar cookies and like cheesy potatoes, right? You're like in this dazed state, nobody knows what day it is. And you're just like, how many days ago uh, was Christmas? You look in your fridge and it's like tamales, olives, and scalloped potatoes. You're like, yep, guess we're doing this, you know? It's just like where we're at, it's a weird week. We're all bracing for the looming back to reality that's coming. Uh, maybe you're already there, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just really sorry. <laughs> Because uh, school drop-offs, 8 a.m., it's going to be coming quick. Work with real meetings. And then maybe most of all, salads. Salads are waiting for us. They are waiting for us. I don't know if a salad has ever sounded so good as right about now, right? As we're like, how many cheesy potatoes are we going to eat? The answer is more. About 48 hours more. <laughs> this week is our getting back to reality. Uh, it's most of us next week is kind of the getting back to reality. But for us as a church today, we get back into 1 Corinthians. But let's be honest, some of you forgot we were even in 1 Corinthians. Christmas just took over your consciousness. Uh, you, you forgot you're there. Or maybe you're a kid and you've never been in here. And so uh, you're like, what, 1 Corinthians? I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, we got you covered. Or maybe you're new and you're like, I just came for Christmas Eve. And so we're glad you're all here. I've got your back. We're not going to leave you in the dust. Uh, we're going to help you out. So you know, uh, uh, if you're watching a TV show and you're on Netflix or Hulu or something like that and they have the series recap video, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like, hey, it's a new season of Stranger Things and it's like, it was three years ago and you're like, ah, let me watch the video to get caught up. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about there? How many of you are like, I need that? I need that because I don't remember what happened three years ago on that show because for some reason we wait like three and a half years between TV series. Today is your 1 Corinthians series recap video, if you will. That's what we're doing today. The goal today is one, you can go to this first slide, yeah, is to get the 10,000 foot view of the book. We're gonna do a quick recap, just hey, what is this book about? Second, we're gonna do a quick recap of the first two chapters, and then third, we're gonna start a new chapter, chapter three, which I just wanna give you a disclaimer, comes in with a punch. It comes in fast. So just a heads up there. Um, let's pray and let's get into it, all right? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this year. Lord, thank you that you sustained us to get here uh, to this point. God, you are good. We even thank you for carrying us through the hard things. Um, you are present through it all. Lord, we are only here this morning with breath in our lungs, as we just sang, um, because you gave it to us. And so we praise you for that. You are good. You are king over all creation. You are Lord over all time. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we don't know what 2024 holds, but we know you're king over it, and we trust you. So we say, pilot us, Savior, in the future. We love you. We thank you. In your name, amen. All right, so first up, let's get our bearings back in 1 Corinthians. Let's do a quick recap. Big picture. Let's talk the who, what, where, when, and why. First up, who? Uh, let me just ask you, especially kids in the room, uh, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Does any of the kids know? Any of the kids? 
Paul, Paul, I heard it over there. Yes, Paul. The, the first verse of the letter, if you open, uh, is Paul. Uh, if, if you don't remember Paul, he actually was a religious leader who was trying to hurt Christians. He didn't believe in Jesus, and so Jesus sought him out on a road to a place called Damascus, and Jesus saved him, revealed himself to him, and so Paul, who once was hurting Christians, becomes a Christian himself and goes and starts churches. It's an amazing life turnaround. Maybe you've read that in your children's Bibles. This is who writes this, and so what he does is he goes to all these different places, plants churches, proclaims the gospel, strengthens Christians, and one of those places is Corinth. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. So that's who, what, well, we're reading it. It's the letter of 1 Corinthians. There's also a second letter to the Corinthians, because uh, as we're going to read, they need it. They need two letters. They're a really special group of people. <laughs> they got two letters going their way. Uh, so that's the what. The who, the what is the first letter to, to, to the Corinthians. And then third, where? Corinth is in modern-day Greece. I think I got a, a map of it here. Yeah, there you go. Corinth is in modern-day Greece. And there's actually a town still there. It's about a 50,000-person town still bearing the same name today. But in Paul's day, it was a 500,000 to million-person metropolis of the Roman Empire. This massive city, massive city. Let's picture lots of people, lots of trade, lots of culture, lots of money, lots of idols, lots of partying, lots of promiscuity. And all of this, as we'll see, spills into the church. And Jose, he shared a quote that was really helpful just to get our bearings on what was the climate, like what was the, what was the not the physical climate, but like what was the culture like of Corinth? And uh, he's, he's, he's quoted this about Corinth. One writer describes the city as a mix of New York, a business center, because again, it was at a crossroads, as you can see on the map, uh, kind of east, west, north, south, and these major trade routes, so major economic import-export. So picture, it's a mix of New York City business center, Los Angeles, an art center, and Las Vegas, a party center. <laughs> it's a mix of all three of these cities. As people from all over the Roman Empire moved to the city and brought their forms of wild living with them. So that's third, that's where, it's Corinth. It is the city of this mix of New York, LA, and Vegas. So that's fourth, where. Now when, when was uh, this letter written? It was written in 51 AD. So less than, uh, we can do the math here, less than 20 years from Jesus' resurrection. I just let that soak in there. Less than 20 years from Jesus' resurrection. This is significant because maybe you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus is, it's, it's a nice idea, especially around Christmas time. Yeah, the manger and, you know, if you were here last week, you know, and you're like, yeah, it's, it's a nice story. But you're like, it's just legend. You know, Jesus coming, his dying, his rising. It's a nice story, Stephen, but it's just legend. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or maybe you are a college student back for the holidays and you've heard a professor say something similar. And what I want to do is I want to push back on that respectfully, but clearly I want to push back on that. And I want us to think critically for a moment. There simply wasn't enough time for legend to develop in 20 years. 20 years ago, we're about to enter 2024, so 20 years ago, I can do that math, uh, it was 2004, 2004. Where were you in 2004? Where were you? Some of you weren't born yet, and don't say anything, please. Uh, 2004, where was I? I was uh, just starting high school, which for some of you, that's like a scary thought. And for some of you, you're like, you're really old, uh, depending on where you're at. And so to just uh, be a real person and to embarrass myself, I have a photo of me in high school. So here we are, yes. The hair, that's a couple years later. I am not growing it back out. I, uh, unless my wife says you must, and then 
Who knows? No, 2004, that's where I was. That was a couple years later as I was graduating high school. Uh, 2004, let's, let's remember this year. It was a good year, a good year. I had longer hair then. You can take that picture off. You can get it out of here. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, 2004. Okay, you did take it off, thank you. Uh, 2004, the final Lord of the Rings movie, uh, Return of the King, one best picture. Passion of the Christ just came out. If you remember where you were with that, I remember watching it with my family, just weeping. <laughs> the Office, season one, how many of you like The Office? Yeah, the season one was just getting ready to, to launch. Uh, we were rocking music on our iPods, <laughs> pre-iPhone. Some of you were like, what's an iPod? You can ask your parents about what that was. Yes, you could, you know, it was so exciting. You could like move around. Remember those ads that like showed the, person, the black silhouette dancing, you know, and it wouldn't skip on you. Again, the youth are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. We, I, music I was listening to, Arcade Fire and The Killers came out with their first records in 2004. It was a good year. Uh, Usher was topping the charts with songs like Yeah and Burn and Confessions. And I know I'm not getting that. I know I can't be that old because Usher's doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl here next month. So I can't be getting that old. So I, I definitely not old enough for legend, right? High school me. What's the point? See, Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians writes, if you want to know about Jesus and his resurrection, as some were doubting, did this even happen? Is this just legend? Paul says, if you want to know about Jesus and his resurrection, here's 500 people. They're still alive. They witnessed it. Go ask them about it. In the same way, if you're like, I don't know what an iPod is. That sounds pretty ridiculous. It couldn't connect to the internet. What are you talking about? Go ask like half the room here. We lived it. Paul is saying, if you want to know about Jesus and his resurrection, this is not a legend. It's history. It's public truth. There were many witnesses, 500. Go ask them. That's when. The history, it matters. These aren't just like fun facts. This stuff matters. See, our faith is faith indeed, but it's not blind faith, and it's not legend. That's when. But why did Paul write it? The last one, why did Paul write it? Bible scholar Gordon Fee says this. It'll quote be up on the screen. It's really helpful. As former pagans, as the Corinthians, they brought to the Christian faith a Hellenistic or Greek worldview and attitudes towards ethical behavior. Although they were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was yet in them, emerging in a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. This is what this letter attempts to do. Why did Paul write this? He wrote this letter to do surgery, to get the way of Corinth out of the church so they could be free to live out the way of Jesus and experience life, true life in Jesus. Like a, a patient with a terminal illness, like a cancer or a tumor, Paul is seeking to do surgery to remove it so that the church might live freely and live life to the full. See, this letter, it is structured almost as a series of five essays as Paul walks issue by issue that the Corinthians have lost their way in. And so I have five up here on the screen that are the five that the, the uh, Church of Corinth has lost their way in. Can we go to that next slide? There we go, boom. The first one is division. That's where we're at today. And then I know we've got young kids in the room, so you can just read what the next one is, and I'll just say it gets uh, gnarly. Uh, it's a mess, and we're gonna talk about it in community groups, so buckle up for that. The third one is food, as they're sacrificing food to idols um, and, and partaking in that way. We see the church gathering as the fourth. We see it's chaos. 
Um, again, I know I got kids in the room. I just want to be cognizant of that. There is, uh, let's just say they're eating uh, the communion of food and the bread and wine, and they are drinking a lot of that. And let's just say things are getting off the rails. And literally people are taking communion in such an irreverent way that literally people are passing away in judgment. Then we have the resurrection, the last one. As I said earlier, people were denying it and they needed to go talk to the eyewitnesses. You could say in short, things have gone off the rails in Corinth, lest we get too romantic about the early church, (laughs) as if they didn't have problems. They had problems just like us. See, uh, Paul has his work cut out for him in Corinth. So are you with me? All right, that's the big picture. 10,000-foot overview of the book. That's the first thing we're covering, just a roadmap of what's ahead. So that's big picture, kind of refreshing, because it was a while ago that we were talking about uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, second, let's get up to speed quickly on where we've been in these first two chapters. If you have a Bible, please open. Uh, we're going to be going to, through chapters 1 and 2. I'm not going to walk verse by verse through this, but it'll be helpful for you to track with me as we're going here. So chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, after he does some thanksgiving, some greetings, and all that, he really gets into it. Chapter Chapter 1, 10 through 17, Paul addresses the first error clearly and how the church is marked by division. Remember, that was the first error. See, the way of Corinth has infected the life of the church. And what was commonplace in Corinth was find your favorite philosophical personality, your favorite uh, debater, your favorite influencer of philosophical thought. Find your favorite person, go rally around them, follow them, and then go attack other groups of people. (laughs) Go find uh, your favorite personality, follow them, rally around them, and then go attack other groups of people. It sounds a lot like today, huh? It sounds a lot like today. And this way, it had infected the church as they were breaking into factions. Because remember the church then, they're living in this 500,000 to million person metropolis, and there may be 150 people broken up into these house churches in the city. This small ragtag church. But they're breaking up into factions. Uh, they, they're, they're following their favorite personality or preacher. Some are saying, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. Some are saying, like, we're OG. We follow Jesus. They're the indie rockers of Portland, right? And as we see throughout the letter, Paul is going to show how the gospel of Jesus stands as another way entirely to each error. Because a divided church, again, that first issue is division. A divided church shows a deficiency in understanding the gospel itself. See, what unites the church is not a pastor. What unites the church is not a personality. What unites the church is not a a person that we follow. It is not a preacher, but it is Jesus and his gospel. What unites the church is Jesus and his gospel. For Paul was not crucified for the Corinthians. Apollos didn't rise from the dead. Peter did not pour out the Holy Spirit. Jesus did. So the gravitational pull for the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else has the power to unite across every dividing line. And the Corinthians' inability to stay one actually says something false about the gospel about Jesus himself. And the same is true for us today. See, in this room right now, there are many cultural differences, many different backgrounds, many different political convictions. There's a diversity of age, especially this morning. There's a diversity of stage and socioeconomic status. 
in this room right now, there's all these differences, but what does it say about the power of the gospel if we cannot be one in the midst of it? What does it say? Does the gospel only have the power to unite those that already agree on everything? What really unites us is if we have the same political convictions. What really unites us if we all like the same music? What does that say about the gospel? But inversely, how great does Jesus look? How powerful is the gospel rightly seen to be? And what good news is it, church family, to a divided world if we are one in spite of all of our differences? See, our unity shines brightly and proclaims loudly the power of the gospel, amen? Our unity proclaims loudly the power of the gospel. Unity matters. It matters. Back to 1 Corinthians. If you're following along, the end of chapter one into the beginning of chapter two, Paul addresses a root of their division. Why are they dividing? He's confronting their idol of seeming wisdom, human wisdom, and self-sufficiency. See, Paul's essentially asking them, will you trust in what just makes sense to you according to your human quote-unquote wisdom? Are you just gonna trust in what makes sense to you? Or will you take the risk of faith and trust in Jesus' counterintuitive cross as proclaimed through our unimpressive, simple preaching? Paul's saying, are you gonna trust in yourself, in your human wisdom, in your human understanding? Are you gonna trust in those impressive, charismatic preachers of philosophical thought? Or will you trust in the counterintuitive cross as proclaimed through our simple preaching? Gordon Fee sums it up well. He says, in effect, summing up chapter one and two, he says, in effect, so you think the gospel is a form of Sophia, that means worldly wisdom, you think the gospel is a form of worldly wisdom. How foolish can you get? Look at its message. It's based on the story of a crucified Messiah. Who in the name of wisdom would have dreamed that up? Only God is so wise as to be so, quote unquote, foolish. Furthermore, look at its recipients, yourselves. Who in the name of wisdom would have chosen you to be the new people of God? Paul is not pulling punches. Finally, remember my own preaching. He comes back at himself. Who in the name of wisdom would have come in such weakness? Yet, look at the results. See, the way of Jesus is truly an upside-down kingdom. Death is defeated by Jesus dying. You gain your life by losing it. The God of all power makes himself small and is born as a helpless baby and then goes, dies in humiliation. Like, what? It's an upside-down kingdom. You gain your life by losing it. The way up is down. It's an upside-down kingdom. From its message to its messengers, they came in weakness. And it is to our flesh. Jesus and his gospel, this message, it looks foolish, weak, and a stumbling block. So the question is, how do we see it as good news? How do we actually see it and experience the gospel as good news versus naturally, in and of ourselves, foolishness and weakness? Don't miss this, especially kids in the room. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. The only way to understand the gospel rightly is through the Holy Spirit who gives us new lenses to see it and new hearts to desire it. See, the seeming foolish gospel message requires us to trust in God's wisdom, 
versus our own understanding. And the seeming weak gospel messengers require us to have faith in God's power versus the personality of a preacher. Everything Paul's saying here is all of this requires the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to it all. So kids in the room, who is the Holy Spirit? God, yes, yes. We have a, a kids like songs that uh, walk through like kind of uh, questions about God. And there's one of them says, how many persons are there in God? There are three, I'll say. There are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dun, dun, dun. There are three persons in one God. So there you go. Kids, you can keep singing that. There's three persons in one God, and one of them is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in us when we trust in Jesus. He fills us. He indwells us. He lives in us so that we might live a new life. We're born again. We're made alive. We're made new. The Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit is, and we need the Holy Spirit to understand the gospel. And this really leads us into 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 16. If you got your Bibles, uh, it's what we looked at last time, and this section really tees us up for our text today. So let's look at it together, starting in verse 10. Starting in verse 10, Corinthians 1, 2, 10 through 16. It'll be up on the screen. These are the things. Notice how many times he's going to say Holy Spirit. Again, the point here is the Holy Spirit is the key to everything. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual reality with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. In these short verses, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 10 times. He's saying, don't miss this. The key to it all is the Holy Spirit. What he's saying abundantly clearly is that you can only understand the Christian faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know God, then you need the Spirit of God. If you want to understand the way of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the message of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, then you need to have the Spirit of Jesus. If you want to be truly spiritual, then you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to all of this. See, don't miss what verse 14 said. Look at it again. I think it'll be up on the screen. Yeah. The person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Again, that's where we all naturally will be, considering these things foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit alone, friends, the Holy Spirit alone is the one who gives us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, an ability to even be able to receive the things of God. The prerequisite for knowing God is the Holy Spirit. The prerequisite to accepting the gospel is good news, to being able to live out the way of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And why this is important is it is not our intellect 
It is not our wisdom. It is not our good intentions. It is not our morals. It's not doing better, trying harder. It's none of these things are going to be what help us understand the gospel. In fact, if we try and seek God through those lenses, you will miss Jesus and corrupt his message entirely. If we think we're gonna understand Jesus by, I'm gonna be trying to be good enough. I'm gonna try to clean up myself enough. I'm gonna try to do better, try harder. That will not be the way. And that's exactly what's happening to the Corinthians. To belabor the point, the key to all of this is the Holy Spirit. This is why we did an 18-month series on the Holy Spirit. Go back and listen to it. All right, stepping back. This is where we've been so far. We, we cut it off at the end of chapter two, last time we were together. So, quick recap. We got the 10,000-foot view of the book. We've recapped chapters one and two, and now we're gonna start a new chapter, chapter Three. So turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter three. It comes in with a punch. You can punch your, no, I'm just kidding. Don't punch your neighbor. To mix things up this morning, uh, I know maybe the kids are starting to lose interest in the coloring pages here. So uh, also to show reverence for God and his word, would you stand with me? And we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses one through four. Let's read it in one voice together. And kids, if you don't, uh, if you can't read this, just listen to what the words that are being said. Let's say in one voice. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Thanks. You guys are going to see. We'll get to this text, and we're going to walk through it quickly, just verse by verse. But uh, I have two young boys. I have a five-and-a-half-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. So uh, Christmas was magical, and it was loud. Uh, I've gone through the progression of kids and food. I've gone through the progression. Uh, some of you might be pregnant or you have a little infant. Uh, this one's going to be for free. I'm going to lay out a roadmap for you of what is ahead for you. So the progression of kids and food. You start nursing, right? Or you have a bottle. That's, that's the first step. Uh, that one's pretty uh, uh, anticipated, if you will. That one is not that hard to imagine. And one thing I got so wrong is I thought, I mean, a baby, all they do is like eat and sleep. Like how hard could nursing be? <laughs> Famous last words. Uh, how hard could giving a bottle be? Really hard. Like, if you don't have this thing at, like, 57 and a half degrees, you know, your baby's, like, choking or rejecting the whole thing altogether. There's, like, different flow levels, apparently, for bottles. Like, these are things I didn't know, and, and I paid the price for it, let me tell you. So you start with the, the bottle. You just start with milk, right? Then after a few months, you might move on to jars of pureed baby food, because who doesn't love pureed peas, you know? Who doesn't love that? Uh, or you move on to the squeezy pouches, right? Which I just want to say uh, a quick disclaimer. God bless the squeezy pouch people. Like, not having to, like, get a spoon out in a glass jar, but, like, let me just squeeze the sucker out. Like, this is great. Like, the greatest invention ever. Then it progresses to, like, baby food with chunks in it. Some of you, though, you just, like, give your kid a whole avocado, and you're like, good luck, rock and roll, you know, banana. You just go, like, straight for, like, we're just going the, the finger foods uh, in there. And I just want to say, like, that's, that's brave. Um, in this stage, whether you're doing the chunks or the, the, the whole things here, there's lots of choking. It's scary. 
Uh, this was a lot. Like, it, but it's, it's apparently just normal. You just got to kind of work through it. I remember being at dinner with some friends, and their youngest was doing the, hey, here's a banana, go for it, and just like, oh, you know, just like hacking. And I remember being like, do we need to call the, the doctor? And they're like, he's got it, you know. <laughs> it's like Christmas vacation with the dog under the table, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Let me you know. Uh, it's, I, that's just what the stage is. You're, <laughs> good luck. You're, you have much to look forward to with your infant. Um, What's also not surprising is babies don't like a lot of this food. Because if I gave you pureed chicken with chunks of carrot in it, you would puke that stuff up too. Like, we think, like, oh, this will be great. It's not. It's not. So what we have to do, we all know it's not. So we have to coerce them into eating this stuff. You know, it's like, here's your Mickey Mouse plate. Here's your little, like, spoon with the dump truck on it so you can pretend that you're, you know, a construction driver. Here's an airplane. You know, we're giving them their food because it's awful. Right? And, and let's be honest, at this stage, they're wearing more food than they're actually eating. Like, you look in their bib, and it's like, well, there's all the macaroni and cheese, you know? It's just, that's what's going on. And we've all, like, we've all been there where, you know, you're doing meal time, which turns into mop time and bath time. It's like you're going straight from the high chair into the bath, right? Every par- How many parents have been there? We stand in solidarity together. And right now is going to be a time of confession and repentance. Children, I'd like you to turn to your parents and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so no, I'm sorry. But if you want to, you can, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, parents, we do stay, stand in solidarity this morning. We all have the picture of, like, the oatmeal on the head or the spaghetti, and it's, it's cute, right? We all have that, like, war story. Like, it's a rite of passage for a parent, the disaster zone. And we all laugh at that picture, right, because it's appropriate for a baby. We laugh at it. It's funny. But imagine having to airplane your food for your teenager, some of you are like, I feel like I have to, you know, <laughs> eat a broccoli. But no, like, seriously, imagine having to, like, airplane it for him. Imagine you're on a, a date with your boyfriend, and he eats a bib because it's just a disaster zone every time he eats. It's just rah, everywhere. It's not so, like, cute anymore, right? It's funny to think about it, but it's not that cute anymore. It's, at best, incredibly annoying. And at worst, it's a sign that something is very very wrong. See, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you should have moved on by now to solid food, guys, but I have to still give you milk. I'm still having to airplane your food and treat you like a little baby. Paul's saying, I should be able to give you a normal cup by now, but you keep spilling milk everywhere, so I have to still give you the sippy cup. Like, it's time to put that away, but I can't. Look at you. It's a mess. You should be able to eat solid food, but you're choking on the chunks of avocado. Like, I should be able to give you solid food by now, Corinthians. But you're proving you can't handle it. Corinthians, you think you're so wise. You think you're so mature. But you're actually proving that you're mere infants by your quarreling in division. I told you, Paul, Paul comes in with a punch. You think you're so wise, but you're babies. Let's break this down verse by verse. Verse one, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Don't miss this. Paul first addresses them as what? Brothers and sisters. This is really important to understanding this passage. These Corinthians, they are believers, but they're not acting like it. They're people of the Holy Spirit who are living like they don't have the Holy Spirit. 
These are people who are living unspiritual. They're living like the world. They're living out the way of Corinth rather than the way of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul brings that punch that we're talking about. You Corinthians are mere infants in Christ, AKA, you're acting like babies. You're acting like babies. You're supposed to be grown up. You're supposed to be mature. You're supposed to be adults, but you're acting like infants. And again, it's not cute. The teenager who needs the airplane, it's the, the, the adult that can't eat, you know, properly. Like this is a sign of danger, unhealth, warning. And the irony, as we will read in the rest of the letter, is that the Corinthians actually think they're wise and mature, as they should be, because they have the Holy Spirit. Like they are in Christ. They think they're so spiritual, and they should be, because they're people of the Spirit. But they're proving to be infants and fleshly and worldly. Their actions are showing they're not actually who they're supposed to be. They're not living in alignment with that. Keep reading verse two. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Paul, again, he's obviously giving the punch of, you should be ready for solid food by now, guys, but you're not. Uh, you should be mature enough to, to, to move beyond milk to solid food like any healthy developing child does. That's the problem. They haven't done that. But church family, we must be really careful this morning to not pit, because I've seen this happen in certain contexts, where you start pitting milk against solid food. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not saying one's good and one's bad. Like both are, are absolutely necessary, milk and solid food for any healthy developing child, right? All of us, we, we need milk and we need solid food. We need food and drink. Like every single child needs both as part of their development. These are not opposed to one another. They work in harmony together. But of course, at some point, you must be able to handle both. So the question is, what is the milk versus the solid food that Paul is talking about? That feels like a pretty important question. All the scholars I read agreed, it'll be up on the screen. The milk is the good news of salvation. The proclamation of the good news of salvation. And the solid food is living in alignment with the salvation in all of life. The milk is the good news. The solid food is living in alignment with this. The Corinthians are showing they can't handle the solid food. They can't handle living in alignment with the gospel, but are still just tolerating milk. They can handle the milk of declaring, Jesus is king. They would check the right theological box. But they're choking on the solid food. They're choking on the chunks of banana, if you will, of staying unified under his banner as king. They're saying they can tolerate the milk of Jesus is Lord but yet they're breaking off in all these factions showing they're choking on the solid food of actually living out that reality. We'll see later on in the letter. They can handle understanding the milk that, that the spirit, when he fills us, when we're saved, he gives us gifts to serve the people of God and serve the world, like yes. But they're choking on living out the fruit of the spirit of love, peace, and self-control. We see they can handle the milk, but they can't handle the solid food, and that's them. I think it'd be easy to just be like, man, immature. Like, Paul, you got your work cut out for you. But I think at some point we have to turn the camera around and look at ourselves and say, where are we just like the Corinthians? Where we can handle the milk, but we can't handle the solid food. And this is pointing right back at me. Last time I got up here and taught, I uh, was sharing about struggling with pride and not living out Jesus' way of humility. Uh, that didn't get solved in the last six weeks. Like, there's a reality here of I can handle the milk of, yes, 
I would check the right theological box. box. God uh, opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Like, the, the idea of a proud Christian should be an absolute un- oxymoron, unthinkable, because everything we have is grace. Everything I've received is grace. Everything is a gift from God. I didn't earn my salvation. God saved me in spite of me. Like, this should make me so humble. I can check the right box. I can handle that milk. I can preach that message. But I'm gagging on the solid food of actually living a humble life, of actually thinking of myself less often, of not caring what other people think of me. There's many areas in my life I'm just tolerating milk. The question is, what about you? What about you? What about you? That question is going to hang over the rest of this time we have together. We'll come back to it. Let's keep moving. Verses three and four. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? See, the church, which ought to be marked as a place of peace and unity as brothers and sisters, we're not like brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That church is now marked by quarreling and jealousy and rivalry, and this is the activity of the flesh, the world, not the spirit. So Paul asks this rhetorical question twice. Repetition shows an importance, right? He repeated 10 times the Holy Spirit to hammer the point home. He asks the question twice in a row. Are you not acting like mere human beings? And on one level, you're like, well, Paul, we're of, cor- of course we're human beings. Like, what are you getting at? What are you trying to say? What's, what's the point, Paul? Paul is reminding the Corinthians of who they truly are who they truly are. And if we have put our faith in Jesus, this is also true of us today, 26 West Church family. Paul is reminding them of who they are. We are not merely human beings. We are not merely flesh and blood. We are humans indwelt with the spirit of God. We are people, if we have trusted in Jesus, then the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you and gives you new life. We are not mere human beings. We are people made in God's image that have been indwelt with the spirit of the living God. We are new creations in Christ, given new birth, transformed in new mind, with new hearts and new identities and new destinies, empowered with new strength to live in a new way, the way of Jesus. We are not mere human beings. Amen? Paul is saying, live out who you truly are, Corinthians. Activity flows from identity. Live out who you truly are. You've been made alive. You've been given new life in Christ, so act like it. You've been given a new heart. Love like it. You've been given a new mind. Think like it. You've been given a new destiny. Hope like it. You're not merely human beings, Corinthians. You're spirit-filled people who have been redeemed and saved and made righteous. This is who you are, brothers and sisters. This is who we are. We need to remember who we are and live like it. The image that came to mind, I was thinking about like, man, just this idea of you need to remember who you are and live in alignment to it. Honestly, the first image, and I knew with kids in here, this would be helpful, is the Lion King. You remember this scene? 
Lion King Simba, his, his father dies, Mufasa, and he goes and runs away. A scar takes over the kingdom, and he runs away with Simone and, and, and Pumbaa, right? And uh, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, not Simone, Timon and Pumbaa. And uh, he goes off, and they're singing Hakuna Matana, and he forgets his identity. He forgets his, his homeland. He grows up there, and it's, it's, you know, no worries, you know, just, just live in the moment, right? And what happens? One of his friends comes back. And reminds him who he is. And he goes off with Rafiki and he gets this vision from his father. And he says, you need to remember who you are. You are the rightful king. You need to go back and you need to go live and eradicate the evil. You need to go set the world right. You need to live into who you are. He receives, Simba, receives the father's affirmation. Is surrounded by a community with Nala and, and Rafiki. You tell him the good news of who he really is. Then he goes and lives like it and the world is a better place for it. And I would say this sounds a lot like the gospel because every single story that says anything true, all truth is God's truth. It's just an echo of the true story of the world. Hey, friends, you've been given a new identity. Your father affirms it over you, that you are chosen, you are loved, you are new, you have a secure destiny, you have a secure identity. And now we need to go and live like it. With the father's affirmation over us, with a community of people around us spurring us on, Paul is saying, remember who you are and act like it. Remember who you are and act like it. Grow up, Corinthians, and stop being infants in division. Are you with me? Remember who you are and go act like it. This is not do these activities and then you'll be somebody. Go perform and then you'll have an identity. No, you already have one. Now go live in response. Those are two radically different things. Kids in the room, like, don't miss that. It's not go do things for God and then he'll love you. God already loves you. Now go serve him and respond. Those are radical different things. But the question I said earlier, where do we need to grow up today? Where do we need to grow up today and eat solid food? What things are coming to mind for you? What things do we need to develop beyond milk to solid food in? Maybe, yes, you can handle the milk of declaring God's word is the truth. That's where we learn about the good news of Jesus. Yes, God's word is the truth. Yes. But can you eat the solid food of reading it, studying it, and submitting to it daily? You accept the milk of declaring, my security is in Jesus. My identity is in him. My peace is in him. He is our peace. But can you eat the solid food of not putting your trust in retirement funds, interest rates, and whatever the economic state is? If things make a turn, We'll be able to eat the solid food of no matter what things look like around us, no matter how upside down it gets. Indeed, my security is in Jesus. Kids and students, you, know, you, can, you can handle maybe the milk of my identity is in God. Check that box. And we say, amen. And I don't need the approval of others. But are you choking on the solid food of obsessing about what my friends and followers think of me? Let's be honest, that's for all of us. I say, God, God's opinion is the most important. Amen. But am I living like, am I choking on the solid food of actually, it's my friends and followers that has the most important opinion. 
You accept the milk. That people need to hear the good news of Jesus because he alone saves. But can we eat the solid food of actually sharing our faith with our neighbors? We accept the milk of believing. We should forgive others as God has forgiven us. It's the good news. God forgives. But can we eat the solid food of confessing sin, not holding on to bitterness, and humbly working through conflict with others? We accept the milk of declaring Jesus as king. Amen and amen. Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord. But can we eat the solid food of living non-anxiously, no matter who gets elected this November? Will our social media posts and the way we treat others reflect that we actually think Jesus is king and that's the hope for the world? Last one, we can drink the milk of saying amen to Jesus will one day come again and make all things new and that's the hope we all have. But are we choking on the solid food of enduring suffering and trusting God in the trials of life until that day? So in closing, as the band comes up, church family, we are God's children. And as Paul says elsewhere, we are called to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And this will take a lifetime. Don't lose heart. Growth is not linear. It isn't with our children. If you are a grandparent, you saw your children grow. Growth was not linear. It isn't with our children as they progress, and it won't be for us as we grow up into Christ either. Our growth will not be linear either. And God is a good father. He will spoon feed you if he has to. He loves us so much. He has put his spirit within us to help us grow up in every way. And he's cheering us on as a good father. And again, I'm a father of young kids. When they first were learning how to walk, when they stumbled and fell, I did not chastise them. I did not yell at them. I did not say, you kids, why, get up and run, dang it. So that's cheering them on. They took like two steps and fell down. It's not impressive. I cheered them on. I love them. And I want to see them walk. And God is cheering us on as we grow even if we stumble, even if we spill, even if we spit out some food along the way. Our job, brothers and sisters, our job is to grow up and eat. The question is, what solid food is the Lord putting on your plate today? So on this last day of 2023, let us resolve in the new year to eat it. Let's respond and let's pray together. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are so patient with us. Thank you that you are a good God who cares for us, who tenderly walks with us through life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you change us to make us more like you. And Lord, I pray for that person right now that's feeling maybe discouraged or hopeless. With the Holy Spirit, we are never helpless or hopeless. We have the exact power we need to change. Lord, I pray where there's been cycles of dysfunction that you would break through. I pray where there's even a glimmer and a spark of hope that you would fan that into flame. I pray that we'd be good friends who encourage one another in our true identities of who we truly are. God, thank you that you speak life over us. Thank you that we're not what we've done. Thank you that we're not what's been done to us. Thank you that our identity is what you have already done for us. And that is secure. That is fixed, no matter our performance. So would we respond by growing, by eating the solid food, by partaking of what you have for us. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need you.
It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response. As the good news of Jesus is not just advice to take it or leave it, but it's, it's good news that we respond to. And so we're going to respond in prayer. There's going to be stations for prayer on each side of the stage. We would love to just carve out space to, to respond. Maybe there's an area that you're like, man, I, gotta, I have not been eating the solid food in this area. Come forward. Confess that to God. Ask him for, your, for help. We're going to respond in worship. For God is worthy to be praised. And then we're going to take communion here in just a minute. But let's just take some time to pray, to sing, and to prepare our heart to take communion together. So let's stand. Let's stand again in reverence. God is here. We're in his presence. Let us stand and sing to him who is worthy. Our good God who is so patient and tender and kind towards us. Let's sing.